morning, crypto. Good morning, Warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from a top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, Mr. Johnny Crypto, Mario, also known as the Node Defender, is joining us this morning. And today we have a very special guest, the author of Three Steps to Quantum Wealth and the Be Wealthy and Smart podcast, Linda P. Jones is in the building, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm very excited for today's show. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how central banks around the world have been tasked with finding a solution to the global liquidity crisis happening today, quickly turning to central bank digital currencies as the inevitable solution. Visa is launching a crypto team focused on building applications for the Ethereum blockchain to enhance the existing financial system. Ripple is currently working with over 20 countries to develop central bank digital currencies As the former SEC commissioner, William Hinman, is set to have his emails released before June 13th, we break down the details, asking our special guest how central banks have been planning for this since 2015. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Johnny Crypto, I do see that you're texting this morning, but we got a special guest in the building, so I'm very excited for today's show. How you feeling, my friend? And thanks for being here. I was actually trying to mute my phone. <laughs> Caught me right in the middle of it. But good morning to all the war maniacs out there. We love you guys. Appreciate you for showing up every day. I'm super excited. Abs, I don't know. Do we have Mario now? But we've got Linda P. Jones. I've been following her for a long, long time in this space. And it's just, it's just so surreal to have her here. So Linda, welcome aboard. Happy to have you. And can't wait to hop into it. Very excited to have you, Linda. But before we get to Linda, guys, we're going to give it to the Node Defender here. Mario, first of all, how are you feeling this morning? And thank you for making time for us. Appreciate it. Good morning, everybody. I'm feeling great. Super excited to be here. Super excited to be on the show with uh, with Linda. I uh, can't wait until we get into some of those topics and hear some of the comments that she has. But uh, but yeah, good morning, Johnny. Good morning, Abs. And good morning, everybody in the chat, too. Thank you, Mario. And Linda, I'm very excited for today's show. We are going to put you on the spot with your inside sources for the central banking system. So I hope you're prepared for that. But first of all, how are you feeling? And thank you for being here. I'm doing great. It was awesome to see you guys in XRP Las Vegas, and you did an awesome job, Abs, on two panels. You were amazing. And uh, yeah, I got to meet uh, Coach JV briefly backstage. That was a thrill. So shout out to him. Say hi. And hi to everybody joining us today. Thank you. Thanks, Linda. Really appreciate that. And with that being said, we're going to get this show started the same way we always do by showing you my Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. We're at 4,200 followers. Go smash that follow button. We love talking to you. The Bitcoin fear and greed index is in what, Johnny? Neutral this morning. Hasn't moved a basis point all week, sitting at a 50. But when we look at the daily movers, it is red across the board. TON is the only coin that's not in a red bubble, up about 1% on the day. When we look at the total coin market cap this morning, we are sitting at 1.1 trillion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 46% dominance. Ethereum is about 19%. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 26,000. Ethereum, 1,800. XRP, 45 cents. Cardano is 36. And one of our favorites, Quant Network, is sitting at 100 flat this morning. And Johnny Crypto, for anybody who always watches our show, they know you're waiting for that $60 Quant. So before we get into our articles for today, what are you watching overall in the markets? Yeah, definitely waiting for a $60 quant. So we'll see if it comes. We'll have to wait. But, uh, you know, I'm looking at the gaming space, though. So I, uh, I've i got my eyes on Mario always corrects me because I say it wrong. But I'm looking at uh, Miria. I like that one. You know, so I'm keeping an eye on it. And we'll see how that one goes. You know, there's some other things. But I don't, I don't follow the, you know, I stay away from all the meme coins like Pepe and stuff like that. 
for me, I like no I Pepe like, moon bags for Johnny Crypto. No Pepe moon bags. Yeah, I'm gonna. I like my XRP, my XLM, my gaming stuff. I'm I'm very happy. So no, it's good. Thank you, Johnny Crypto. Sorry, mute button got me there, guys. And Linda, we are coming to you first after this newest article because we have a call out. Somebody actually mentioned you in this video, and I'm super excited to address this. So with that being said, we're going to play this short clip and go back to Linda. Here we go. When we talk about the price of XRP, we have to look at the debt. And central banks have an incentive to dissolve that debt right now. And they found a solution, which is blockchain. They actually are going to, in my opinion, based on the research, and also, I can confirm this, that the International Monetary Fund has already agreed on a price before all this integration started to happen. So this was a few years ago. They agreed upon a price, and I got a lot of information from uh, Linda P. Jones has a friend who um, worked at the Central Bank of Australia, and she said that they agreed upon a price that's in the thousands. Now, when we again talk about the XRP price, we have to look at the global debt, the incentive for central banks to dissolve global debt, in fact, also to utilize this liquidity source of liquidity from XRP to facilitate, um, you know, transparency and moving into the digital economy. This is what they're going to be using. XRP is a financial instrument to serve the global economy. And Linda, he said a bunch of great things within that clip, but I think what caught most people's attention is the ties between the IMF and Ripple and the fact that central banks around the world claim behind the scenes that a price has been set and it's extremely high. So I'd love for you to just elaborate there. What is he referencing within that video? Well, I like Rasan. I think a lot of Rasan and uh, shout out to him and Black Swan Capitalist and his brother. Um, it, it was a miscommunication. You know, I hear a lot of different things and we chatted about some different things. I don't have a central bank contact. I don't know anyone in particular at any of these organizations. So it was just a miscommunication, a misquote. And um, so we've he and I have chatted about that and we understand that's what happened. So. Um, it was unfortunate. We couldn't take it back. It was already out there, but I did tweet that it was a misquote. And uh, so I, I was hoping it would end there, but maybe we can have it end there now. So. Well, I don't know about that because he did drop a couple of gems within this video, Linda. And the one that I'd like to focus on besides the price being set is the fact that XRP is a financial instrument to serve the economy. And for any of you YouTube followers, they know you did a great video this week highlighting how currently there are 20 countries working with Ripple in developing a central bank digital currency. And before we get into the details of the article, Linda, I'd love for you to elaborate. How does XRP enhance central bank digital currencies? And what are you anticipating over the next 12 to 24 months? Well, you know, we all know the strengths that XRP has and the flexibility that it has, the scalability, the low fees, just innate in it, in, in this technology, it's just superior to just about everything else, which is how we all got here, right? Because we all did our research and found that out. And as Brad Garlinghouse himself said, you know, they're going to start with one use case, which is cross-border payments, and then they're going to go into many other use cases. They're going to be like Amazon that started out with books, and then they're going to expand. We got some of that this week with, you know, new storage company that they bought, Medico and, you know, with CBDCs expanding now to 20 countries. I mean, it's, it's just going to be exponential. And uh, XRP is ideal for that because of how it was made, how it was built, the XRP ledger. It's, it's all just beautiful and coming together uh, and being revealed now to us more and more every day. Lisa, I mean, sorry, Linda, we often say history doesn't repeat, but it often rhymes. And when you look at the XRP price chart, what happened in 2017 was something fascinating and something we've never seen before. We went from a fraction of a penny to just below $4, which
which ended up being 2,400% gains for many, or sorry, 240,000% gains for many of our listeners out there. And that is a massive number. So hopefully we can see something similar in the future. But this is the article I wanted to break down for our listeners. Financial technology firm Ripple Labs has announced the launch of their CBDC platform where financial institutions, governments, and central banks can mint their stablecoins and CBDCs. While some countries are still researching and exploring the possibility of CBDCs, others have started developing. The latest group for those who have already implemented a CBDC designer prototype, this seems to be the smallest group so far. Considering where all these countries are in their CBDC journey, Ripple is trying to fit in and ultimately become a solution provider for them. Ripple mentioned that Ripple mentioned at a certain time that the firm was already in talks with about 20 countries in the implementation of central bank digital currencies. And Linda, these articles are becoming more and more important by the day as we just covered how JP Morgan and Citibank are both anticipating over $8 trillion in central bank digital currencies in only the next decade. But guys, we got 269 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. And Johnny, before I kick it back to Linda, I'd love to hear from you and Mario. How do you feel about 20 countries currently working with Ripple? Well, you know, like we talk about all the time on the show, it's very important for them to continue spreading adoption and growing in their space. We know that they're being pushed out of the U.S., so they're doing it smart. They're actually uh, integrating wherever they can. That's the next best thing you can do. So kudos to Brad and the company. I agree with Linda. You see exactly what they're doing. They are growing out in natural adjacencies to build a holistic solution company that's not going to be just cross-border payments, but you'll have tokenization, you'll have custody, you know, be able to service the enterprise type customer. That's where true adoption really comes from. So I love what Ripple's doing. They are making all the right moves, doing the best they can while they still got the SEC monkey on their back. And as soon as they get that monkey off their back and they have to go figure out what the hell's going on, they're going to be able to really, I think, spread their wings and grow out. I mean, Ripple as a company. I mean, not only, you know, I'm excited about XRP, but I also love Ripple as a company. If you're an accredited investor, you know, through Link2, you can actually get a piece of Ripple, the company has, and, and you know, for full disclosure, you know, I have some of that too. And, and I love it. I really love what Ripple's doing as a company and also what they're doing to try and promote the growth, the use and adoption of XRP. Spot on, Johnny. And before we go back to Linda Mario, I'd love to get your thoughts. Brad Garlinghouse said, we have always said that we would love to settle, but it requires one very important thing. That's on a going forward basis. It's clear XRP is not a security. And nowadays, it's seeming like it's seeming like that may be too much to ask for, Mario. But what stuck out most to you about that previous article? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it does seem like it's too much to ask, given the uh, the confusion that the SEC keeps creating, right? Because they they're not putting out any clear clear rules. At the same time, they're not answering questions about what is a security, what is not. They're taking back their word on Ethereum. So yeah, total confusion there. But Ripple, super well positioned. I, I look at Ripple at this stage, almost like too big to fail kind of scenario, where you know they've 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 got so much um, going for them already. And I mean, not to mention the amount of money that they have sitting in the bank. Uh, they're able to fight this with uh, with the SEC or against the SEC for for the $200 million. I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking like it's very positive for Ripple. Um, regardless, it's nice to see that they're starting to spread their wings, like Johnny said, and they're starting to capture all these different markets and not just the uh, cross-border payments. But, um, but yeah, I'm very bullish on Ripple. Yeah, I agree with Johnny. And Linda, this seems to be another article catching people's attention as Ripple is targeting a $213 billion market. But after watching your video this week, it seems like this number is actually pretty small. And I want to address what we were talking about before, how currently Ripple is working with over 20 countries in developing a central bank digital currency. 
Well, this was the article circulating last week, and a lot of people in the community were frustrated with this headline that Ripple's new CBDC play has no direct need for XRP. Well, you're the perfect person to dispel those claims. So, Linda, why don't you explain what's really going on? How does XRP work with central bank digital currencies? Well, first of all, I think that there is flexibility on the XRPL. So there's the option for them to have some other tokens possibly on the XRPL. But I think the system will probably also default to which is the one that's cheapest, fastest, most scalable, you know, the best one for the particular use case. And so while I think there's flexibility, I don't think we should get upset at that article because it just shows that there are other tokens that can be used. But I also want to circle back to what you said, Abs, about um, that history rhymes, because I talk about cycles and wrote about cycles in my book. And the main cycle that we're in right now is a repeat of the technology boom that happened in the late 90s, which is you know, where I was successful investing the first time and, and fortunate. And so when I saw this opportunity again, I'm like, oh, I recognize it this time. I've got to write about this. I've got to compare it to what happened last time, the wealth creation that occurred, how this is even superior to that, and how this is the opportunity of our lifetimes to get invested, build wealth, and have financial freedom, for sure. Feel free to elaborate on that right now. I wasn't around in the early 2000s when that first, I guess, internet boom happened, but Johnny was, and he talks about it all the time. He talks about companies like Amazon and Apple and how they slipped through the cracks. So right now, what are some of the things that you're identifying as similarities between the early 2000s and this new crypto boom? Well, one thing that is right, almost exact, is how the media is bad-mouthing the new technology. So we hear the media talking about, you know, terrible things about crypto. We hear them blaming crypto for all kinds of problems that really may or may not be true. We hear, you know, all kinds of, you know, that we're associating with drug dealers and child traffickers and all kinds of crazy things if we invest in crypto. And there may be some truth to that. But back in the day when the internet was first coming into being, they talked about it being for porn and how it was, you know, for criminals and how they were going to steal your credit cards if you tried to do any transactions on the internet and how you could ne it would never be safe. And these were the things that they were saying back then. So it was very similar in the sense that they weren't upfront encouraging us to be investing in the internet, which was the greatest wealth building opportunity of our, of that generation. And now here we go again, and they are not encouraging us to invest in what I think is the best wealth building opportunity of this generation. And we're just getting started. We have this whole decade, I believe, to really fulfill a lot of that wealth building opportunity. We're fortunate because we're here so early that the SEC lawsuit is still in existence, which has given us a couple of years to accumulate more. And I hope everybody's taken advantage of that because these prices are not going to last forever. And we're getting to the tail end of this opportunity to be able to invest at these ridiculously low prices. So take advantage. Spot on. And Johnny, I got to get some more arguments out, or sorry, statements out of you before we move on. Money launderers and terrorists prefer fiat currencies over cryptocurrencies, says the U.S. Treasury Department. And Linda, it's finally reassuring to get a little bit of truth out of them. So Johnny, really quick, what did you think about her analogy between the internet boom and the crypto boom? Oh, I mean, it's spot on. <laughs> I think Linda's watching our show. I mean, literally, we've been saying the same thing over and over. Exactly. Linda nailed it. Um, it's exactly, we're right now in what we call, you know, as we talked about with Yusko on the show, we're in the then they fight you stage. And this exactly happened back 
in 2000 abs you were in diapers or maybe you weren't even in diapers at that point when this was going on uh but basically what was happening was exactly the same thing all this fear all this fud all this fighting because they you know the big boys wanted to get their grips on everything and they were scaring everybody away and that keeps the prices down right you get everybody out and then they buy everything up for cheap cheap and then once they own everything boom they skyrocket that son of a bitch and send it to the moon right now the good news is we're we are here as we say all the time we're here so early in this space that I know it feels like we're late because we're sitting here waiting. What's this going to happen? What's going to But the reality is, guys, it takes 10, 20 years for adoption of a real technology to happen. I mean, I tell a story over and over again on Amazon, right? Started back in 1994, 95 at $17, $18. It didn't get to 3300 until 20 years later. So the point is you have to be patient. We are in a fundamental shift of technology from Web 2.0 to 3.0. This is going to create a wealth of Gener or generational um, millionaires that are going to come out of this if you're patient and if you're willing to hold on. And that's why, Ab, you got to have an exit plan. You got to be smart. You got to, you know, don't do what I did in 97 and sell everything. I saw all the Amazon like an idiot. Hold on to some of that because you never know where these, where this, where these horses are going to go. Just make sure you got horses in the race because this is going to be a fun race to watch to the end. And here's some more evidence of that, Johnny, as Ripple CBDC platform leverages the same technology as the XRPL. And Linda, this is what I really wanted to elaborate on for our listeners. The Ripple CBDC platform is modeled as a revised version of the XRPL, which was introduced two years ago. The CBDC platform will leverage the same blockchain technology as the XRPL. Therefore, users will be able to customize and manage the entire lifecycle of their fiat-based CBDC transaction and distribution. And so... It's a, it's a mouthful there. For somebody who's not familiar with the lingo in this space, it can be a little bit confusing. Why don't you explain it in the simplest way possible? How does XRP work with central bank digital currencies? Well, in my opinion, they're coming out with CBDCs of small countries first. You know, the, the, the country of Palau uses a dollar-based system. So they can test the dollar, if you will, by using that as a proxy, right? So um, Palau and Bhutan and Montenegro and smaller Caribbean countries, they're able to do some testing of the CBDC, but that's going to allow uh, basically currencies to move within countries. That's really, you know, more centralized within each country. And so to have that developed and have uh, Ripple and you know, at the forefront of that technology, I think is exciting. I think it is telling me that massive amounts of money are going to flow through the XRP ledger, which is exciting because what bigger use case can you think of than having trillions and trillions of dollars flow on an XRP ledger? I mean, who can't get excited about that? Exactly. And one of the things I wanted to address for our listeners was in that video we initially showed, and it's a little bit difficult to show right now, but what he says is that the central banks are on the brink of a liquidity crisis and that they could soon be leveraging blockchain technology as a solution to the liquidity crisis they're going through today. And for any of our listeners out there who are sticking around to the end of the show, it's going to be worth it because Visa is currently working on a crypto team specifically building on the Ethereum blockchain. And I'm looking forward to hearing from Linda about why she believes they're choosing Ethereum. But before we do that, guys, we got 371 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button and check out the smartest way to track your crypto. Have you gotten wrecked in the crypto market space or watched your crypto portfolio go all the way up and then all the way down without taking profits? If so, it's probably because you didn't have an exit plan. The good news is that doesn't need to happen anymore thanks to a new and innovative crypto tracker called Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. 
Merlin brings all your coins into one place so you can see all your assets across the different exchanges on one screen. You can see your total portfolio value and more importantly, your daily gains, losses, and total since inception. Merlin puts the power back in your hands so you no longer have to guess what your portfolio is doing on a daily or monthly basis. Most importantly, Merlin lets you create an exit plan and sends you notifications when your targets are reached so you no longer have to get wrecked in the marketplace. Go to MerlinCrypto.com, that's MerlinCrypto.com, and sign up for our free 30-day trial and get on the wait list so you can receive an email when the product is launched. Don't miss out on this new and innovative app, Merlin. It's the smartest way to track your crypto. It is the smartest way to track your crypto, Johnny. And we've got another breaking announcement this week out of the company, Merlin. I'm not sure if you've heard this yet. We are going to be selecting a couple of customers to beta test our Merlin program, but they're only going to be coming from the waitlist. So sign up for the waitlist down below. 30 days, absolutely free. You got nothing to lose by signing up. But Linda, I do want to get back to our initial topic that we were discussing before we get back into Merlin later in the show. Right now, we are seeing something we haven't seen since the early 1920s. The stock market did something historical as they printed infinitely into the markets. And so I want to connect this to the banking crisis that we're seeing today. What are you anticipating, right? Can you connect the dots here? I know you're much better with economics than I am. Well, you know, we all know that we have a problem with the debt ceiling. But the funny thing is they're focusing on $31.8 trillion worth of debt. That's not our real debt. Our real debt is over $200 trillion because of Medicare, Medicaid, and all the promises that they have made to yeah. people, to Americans. And so this debt ceiling is something that's been solved many times in the past through an agreement. But it just seems like this is a manufactured crisis to me. Uh, this seems like it's something that is purposefully not being discussed. Uh, they're not having a whole lot of dialogue. I mean, I think the speaker said today he hasn't talked to the president since Monday. So, I mean, it's not even like they're at the table constantly talking about it. No, they're not. They're like having discussions here and there, not seeming to um, be making any progress. So how I see it is... It is a manufactured crisis. I actually did a podcast that YouTube censored. So all of my podcasts three times a week go to YouTube, but they refused to uh, publish one of my podcasts. And it was about um, basically this manufactured crisis and the fact that uh, I thought we'd have weakness in June in the stock market because of it. So yeah, they, they wouldn't even publish it. I couldn't get on the YouTube channel. So I wish I could say I was surprised, Linda. Yeah, there's massive censorship going on when you when you're over the target. And so there's something very suspicious to me. It feels to me like they're not going to agree for a period of time and there's going to be something that happens and then eventually they'll come to an agreement. But it seems like there's there's not going to be an agreement initially, which is going to cause a problem. And then they'll have a solution, which is what they like to do. Right. They like to create the problem and then have provide the solution. We always talk about that problem reaction solution. We always talk about that on our channel. Another thing we like to say is whoever controls the money controls the information and controls the people. And when you track the money, a lot of it goes back to JP Morgan. And that's what our next article is in reference to. We are showing you the similarities between 2023 stock market and just before the 1929 Great Depression. Well, Jamie Dimon, the CEO of JP Morgan, is also warning investors 
saying he told his um, he told people at the latest sharehold meeting, Diamond told investors that America's regional banking crisis will likely have a domino effect on the real estate industry, Johnny Crypto. And I think it's ironic enough because me and you had a private conversation about purchasing some real estate yesterday, saying we're too smart to enter the market right now. So before we get into some crypto topics, how do you feel about JP Morgan warning people of a real estate collapse? I definitely would not be buying right now. I mean, let's face it. The way real estate works, and a lot of people don't know this, but it's really simple. It's tied to interest rates because interest rates drive your mortgage payment. If rates go up, housing has to go down, but they don't happen instantaneously. Rates go up, housing market will come down, but it follows, it lags because people don't want to reduce the price of their homes. Uh, you know, when they when they could first get 700000 and then somebody told they go and get five they they're like, what? And they don't want to reduce the pricing. But sooner or later, that reality sets in and you see that happening, and that's going to lag usually six months to a year later. So you, you know, we will now. What are we at? Seven, eight percent, something like that. We're way up there. You're going to start to see the how the housing market has to come down because if you look at the simple mortgage payment, uh, you know, the mortgage payment has doubled practically right now. People can't afford it, so the housing. The only other option in that equation, if the price of the interest rate is fixed, is the housing value has to come down, and that's going to happen. So it is sad, but it's true, and that's why, frankly, right now. As a real estate investor, I'm not I'm not touching anything. I'm I'm not even looking right now because I still know there's a lot more pain to come. And it's sad because the housing market does drive a lot of our industry. And as that comes down, you're gonna feel a lot of pain throughout the economy. Can I take the other side of that argument? Sure, please do. <laughs> okay. Um, well, if you look at when interest rates have been raised by the Federal Reserve, uh, as they've been raised quickly. Usually they get to a peak where they realize they've overdone it and they start to drop rates quickly. So my forecast is that we're going to see rates start to drop in the second half of the year. And that's going to spout another real estate boom. And I don't think we're going to have a real estate crash right here. Real estate also moves in cycles. That cycle is in a pause phase right now. But I don't believe that it's over. And I believe that as interest rates come down, we're going to see real estate speculation a couple of years from now that's going to blow your mind, even compared to what we've already seen, because rates are going to go quite a bit lower than people expect. So um, that's what I believe. But I do think that we have some problems coming with uh, commercial real estate as people have not gone back to work and those buildings are empty and there's really nothing that they can do to retrofit or change them. So they're sort of stuck with the commercial real estate. That is going to be a, a major issue that has to be dealt with. Yeah, commercial is a big problem. We know there's buildings all over the place that they can't get rented right now. Linda, I'm curious, what makes you, uh, what price? So interest rates were as low as around 3% when, you know, as we were just back in this low era of, of um, interest rates. What do you think we're going to come back down to? Do you think we'll go back? You said even lower than that, or do you think we'll be? somewhere in that space? It's hard to say. I don't think that it matters that much. The The main thing is that it, when they move in the right direction, buyers are going to be out again and, and it's going to be more affordable and that's going to raise prices again. And mm -hmm. so I think that's you know going to spur more supply and demand and, um, and the market's going to take off for real estate again for, for residential real estate. Johnny yeah. Crypto, one last question for Linda here. I can I don't know anything about real estate. Crypto is my forte, but one of the articles I do remember about about the real estate market from last year is that BlackRock was going in and buying up historical amounts of residential real estate. So maybe you can elaborate on that and explain the impact that's going to have on the real estate market. Well, I think that they are aware of cycles, and um, as I've written about, the the elite have used this to their advantage and not taught it to us. And so, it's been something that um, has been studied, and they've researched significantly. And this is actually proven. It's it's 
you know, again, I wrote about it and documented everything. So this is something that, um, that they're aware of. And I think they're taking advantage of buying up assets that they know are going to be increasing this decade. And they're just getting ahead of the curve. And that's why they were buying up so much. It's not because they were buying it for a one-year gain. They know because this next second round of speculation that's coming is going to be even a bigger boom. And they'll probably be selling at that time later this decade. That, go ahead, Johnny. Sorry. And that makes a lot of sense, Linda. When you look at it, we've never seen a company like BlackRock come in and buy anything and everything. And they were buying it. You know, all these cash offers are coming in for real estate that drove everything up. And, and so you, it, it makes you wonder why are they doing it? Um, but if there is another, I agree with you, by the way, if interest rates come down, that absolutely will spawn another big boom in, in real estate for sure. I'm just not so sure how quick the Fed will lower it when they've been saying, you know, and that's really the game, right? The Fed controls the whole thing. How quick will they do it? They've been saying they're going to hold it here for a while. But I agree with you. If they lower it, we will definitely see another boom in, in real estate. No question. Well, the, pro about it. the problem is there's a lag time. So when the Fed raises interest rates. There's a lag time between when you see that take effect and when it starts to slow the economy. And when they raise it so quickly, month after month after month, it doesn't give us the time for that to really kick in and, and take inflation down. And so now with the lag time finally kicking in, now that's been more than a year that they've started raising rates, we're going to start to see the effect of it. And we're going to get numbers that are going to shock people because things are going to slow down a lot more than was expected. But that's the lag effect finally showing up in the numbers. Yeah, basically you were saying- I wanna make here, Johnny, I'm gonna give it right back to you, but Jamie Dimon actually referenced the rate hikes that he's anticipating. And he said, I think everyone should be prepared for rate hikes going forward here. If it's not 5%, if, or sorry, if 5% is not enough, they should be prepared for six or 7%. And now Linda, we know that he's misleading and we know he constantly points retail in one direction while the bankers go the other. So just to close this out, feel free to rebuttal here. Yeah, I, they usually are telling us exactly the opposite. Um, you know, how can he say, for example, Bitcoin's a scam and then they offer Bitcoin on their platform? I mean, explain that to me. That seems like a liability to a CEO. So for him to come out and say, yeah, interest rates are going to go one way, that usually is an indication that they're telling us the wrong thing. Uh, it's kind of an inverse Kramer, again, if you will. Uh, he has the same effect where he comes out and tells us one thing and the opposite happens. So, yeah, I, I take it with a grain of salt. And um, we've already see, seen interest rates are under 7% now. They've come down from where they were. So we may have already seen the peak behind us. You know, Linda, that's why on this show we have something called the Rat Snake Weasel Index. And we've got Kramer on there. We've got JPM on there. We've got Gensler on there because they're all a bunch of rat snake weasels. And we basically tell everybody, do the opposite of what they say. You're absolutely right. And that's what we're looking at here. Uh Definitely, definitely doing the opposite is always a good, smart move, especially when Kramer, Kramer, GPM's involved. Yeah, Absolutely. he thinks there's going to be a debt deal. So what does that tell you? Exactly. Exactly. You That's got it. We know. Don't, don't hold your breath. And Johnny, this is a perfect transition into our next article as we're going to be discussing the William Hinman emails as well as the Ripple versus SEC lawsuit. But before we do that, we got 414 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. I want to say thank you to Linda for making time for us this morning. Linda, all of the updates that have come out of Ripple just during the past week, it seems to be overwhelming. Every single title we've put for our YouTube has to do with Ripple because of all these big announcements. But one of the largest announcements that's around the corner for this company is the William Hinman emails being released. And I'm going to read a quick quote from his speech. Then I'm going to kick it to you for some broad thoughts. William Hinman said on June 14th, 2018, and putting aside the fundraising that accompanied the creation of Ether, 
Based on my understanding of the present state of Ethereum, the Ethereum networks and its decentralized structure currently offers and sales of Ethereum are not securities transactions. And now he told the general public, this is my personal opinion. But what we're coming to find out is that they created 63 drafts internally at the SEC before William Hinman got on stage and gave this speech. And also XRP could have easily been in at least one of those drafts. We're going to break that down later in the show. But how do you feel about these revelations finally coming to light? Okay, you're exactly right. And not only were all those drafts created, but who created them? They were created by the venture capitalists. Wow. The venture capitalists got together and said to the SEC, this is what you're going to say about our crypto, right? This is this is how we're going to show it's decentralized. And you're going to give Bitcoin and Ethereum a free pass because they're decentralized. Well, we don't really know if Ethereum is decentralized because it was given to a few people. We think it's actually not decentralized. Uh, shout out to DAI and others who have done a lot of research in this area. And so, you know, what when I saw Brad Garlinghouse's reaction to the Hinman emails, what I took from that is there is going to be, now this is my own opinion, I believe there's going to be a specific reference to XRP that the SEC was directed not to give XRP a free pass, was directed to, you know, maybe throw the lawsuit or whatever. We're going to, who knows what all we're going to see in those emails, but we're going to find out that there was some shady stuff directed against XRP and Ripple. And this is going to be, you know, very devastating for the SEC. Now, it's not anything that we don't kind of already know, but I do think it's going to be specifically directed at Ripple and XRP, omitting them from that speech and targeting them or or targeting other things for their own profitability too, for their own profit, their Ethereum invest, investments, et cetera. And I'm going to read this quick document or this statement out of Brad Garlinghouse when they first got access to the William Hinman emails. He said, the SEC wants you to think it cares about disclosure, transparency, and clarity. Do not believe them. When the truth eventually comes out, the shamefulness of their behavior here will shock you. And you know what's so alarming about these statements, Linda, is that the SEC is built to protect investors like us, and now they've become the number one enemy. And some call me naive. Some people say, how can you think the SEC is out to protect you? Well, when you read what they're supposed to do, this is my first time learning this. They're supposed to protect investors and they're doing the absolute opposite right now. So it's been an eye-opening experience for me. Johnny, I'd love to get some thoughts from you and then we'll kick it to Mario. Listen, when you read into Brad's words, he's telling you right here, there's, there's definitely a smoking gun there. There's no doubt in my mind that there was something, you know, where they were referencing. And we talked about this the other day on the show when this came up, right? There's no doubt that we, we know there was something happening and there's something going on behind the scenes with, with JPM and a couple of things. And there was obviously falling out and the next, you know, SEC lawsuit happens 10 days later. Right. So, so no surprise there, this is happening, but what is going to be interesting is how they end up leveraging these emails in the outcome of the case. Cause ultimately all we care about is what is the outcome of this case at this point? And that's either going to help set the industry standard. If we get a ruling at an appellate level or, or higher, or we get a settlement, it just kind of helps ripple. So that's really what we're trying to wait and see abs. What happens here. But I, I can't wait for when those come out because I, I think people are going to be stunned when they see things. Of course, a lot of it's going to be blackened out, but you're going to be stunned when you see how uh, corrupt things can be at certain levels in the government, unfortunately. So I think um, more importantly, 
how will that affect the ruling, I think, is what really matters in the end. So we'll have to wait to see if Judge Torres decides to make a decision, hopefully before September. And Linda, what Johnny was referencing there is that 10 days before Ripple was sued by the SEC, JP Morgan completed their first in-house transaction for their Onyx uh, protocols. That's obviously built on top of Ethereum. So the assumption that we were making is, of course, they're going to incentivize the regulators. Go take out our biggest competitor while we get the nooks and crannies finished with our product. So how do you feel about that theory? Well, yeah. And don't forget, Vitalik Buterin was interning over at Ripple, right? So somebody sent him over there to intern and get information. And then he went and started Ethereum. And gee, now, you know, this whole JP Morgan thing comes together. I mean, to me, this seems like this was very structured in some sort of a, you know, planned event. Um, I, there's, there's a lot at stake here. Okay. There's big, huge money at stake here. This is maybe as big as it gets. And so this, you know, they pulled out all the stops. They, they pulled out regulation. They pulled out a lawsuit. They pulled out bribes. They pulled out, you know, a competitor. They pulled, I mean, they pulled out every stop they could to try to stop Ripple and XRP and to try to create their own version because, like I said, this is, it's as big as it gets. It doesn't get any bigger than this. We're getting a name call out right here. We're going to show our listeners an update out of Swift showing that they do believe in many of the protocols that Ripple and Stellar are, comp- are uh, creating right now. So we're going to play this short clip and go back to the group here. Here we go. And we're seeing cryptocurrencies like XRP, Stellar Lumens, and stablecoins like USDC playing an important role in getting that wheel to turn and deliver the internet of value. Also, the introduction of central bank digital currencies will accelerate the mainstreaming of digital assets. I see my third coming to... So she goes on to elaborate about Bitcoin and other aspects of digital currencies. But what do we continue to see, Linda? Ripple and central bank digital currencies are a part of the same conversation. And on January of 2023, this year alone, one of their CFO, their CEO, it could have been Garlinghouse, came out and said that 2023 will be the year of central bank digital currencies for Ripple. Now we have a SWIFT official also regurgitating those same claims. So just to close this out here, how do you feel about a SWIFT official acknowledging what Ripple and Stellar are doing? It's great work. Well, it's it's amazing. And, you know, as we know, SWIFT has too high of a percentage of errors. And you just can't continue with software that was created in, what, the 1960s? I mean, that's ridiculous. We need to update and we need to be able to send money like an email and the Internet of Value, when she said the Internet of Value, I hear Chris Larson in my ear talking about the Internet of Value. And that's Ripple and what Ripple's all about. And so it's exciting times for us. I think we're exactly in the right place at the right time. And yes, we're early, but things are going to expand dramatically. And I just hope that you know people have some capacity to be able to hold on to some of their bag for the long term, because I think that's really going to pay off for them. Johnny Crypto, and we're about to show our listeners a very interesting article, an inside look into Visa's crypto team. We got 446 live listeners joining us. Show us some love, smash that like button, and check out this latest article out of Visa because it goes to show that these companies are incentivized to build on top of Ethereum as Visa's crypto team is only building protocols that are compatible with ERC-20 tokens. So Visa is digging in deep into the cryptocurrency space as Visa's head of CBDC and protocols said that they aim to better comprehend blockchain's underlying fundamentals and assess its potential role in shaping the future of payments. Well, of course, 
the central bank digital currency head is incentivized to bring in that technology. And that's what Visa is looking forward to leveraging. By comparison, Visa averages 707 million transactions per day. That's their paper note system. And the team is currently working on ways to possibly abstract gas fees for users and enable users to pay transaction fees using ERC-20 tokens instead of the blockchain's native currency. So Linda, the biggest question I have here is, are they not doing their research or are they incentivized to build on Ethereum? I mean, to me, this is laughable. This is laughable because, I mean, God bless them that they've discovered the blockchain, but are you kidding me? I mean, Ethereum's gas fees are so high. It's ridiculous. You can't do anything. It's so slow. I mean, you know, to me, she's creating some kind of a smoke screen around this because this is not what they're going to end up using. They, I mean, anyone who does their homework is going to see that this is not the best technology and it's just not right for you know, the scalability that Visa needs to create all of their payments and, and do their work. It's almost insane the fact that they're choosing this ERC-20 token, Johnny, because the whole point of Visa's objective here is reducing gas fees. They can just switch blockchains. I mean, I believe the average transaction cost for on the XRPL is one one hundredth or one one thousandth of an XRP. What is a drop? I'm sure Linda knows. Well, it, yeah, I think there's five zeros and a one point zero 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 one. So problem solved, Johnny Crypto. What's it mean to you? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, they 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 chose they picked they picked the turtle to be <laughs> to win the race. They really picked the wrong one. But at the end of the day, you know, obviously Ethereum can't is not going to be a long term solution. It doesn't have the TPS rates. They'll end up doing they'll either build on top of that some layer two or some maybe even a layer three. But to me, I thought we we had talked about on the show a while back that they were looking at uh, Ripple's technology. So I, I'm really surprised by this to see them go the Ethereum path. But again, knowing the connections at the top and who runs all these companies and how they're connected, from that perspective, I'm not surprised because we know that we know the big companies have put a big, big bet on Ethereum. We know Ethereum has got a free pass. So not surprising to see them start with Ethereum and then figure out ways to do you know, a layer two, like a Matic or something to speed up the, to, to introduce scaling capabilities. So maybe that's one of the ways they're going to go. And that's why I say in this game, we're so early. We don't know who's going to win the race. You've got to have several horse. Diversity is the key to winning this race. Make sure you've got different horses in your basket, in your, in your, in your baskets. Um, no one put all your eggs in one basket. I, I think nobody knows the future. Nobody knows who's going to win this race, but there will be multiple technologies. So diversity, I think is the best bait to play this game. I agree, Johnny. And I think that they, they won't just blatantly tell you which technologies they believe themselves are going to win just because, you know, there's competition, there's market share. They're not going to want their competitors to know who they're working with or which one they're mostly betting on. But I think they feel safer talking about Ethereum just because it's got that free pass. But unless Ethereum really gets its, uh, its technology together and all these upgrades and all these developments that they've got in the horizon, um, they really need their network to to get uh, up to speed with with the other networks so that they can start capturing some of that some of that share because otherwise is it you know as Linda just mentioned their network is just simply not capable and you compare it to some of these other networks out there and especially if we're talking about the internet of value you know if everything all the value that we know is capable and needs to come to to the internet so that it can be um, you know easier and faster for for it to be traded the Ethereum network just simply doesn't have that capability at the moment. So, but regardless, I don't think they're going to tell you who they're working with. So we have to pay attention to with like what they're doing as opposed to what they're saying. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with Mario more. Think about this at the end of the day, if MasterCard chooses 
let's just say the ODL or Ripple's technology, how the hell is Visa going to compete with that? They can't. And this is all about competition at the end of the day and keeping up with your competition. And, you know, you never tell your competition what you're doing. So maybe like, hey, we're using Ethereum, right? And then at the end of the day, it's the opposite. Well, we're really using something else. That would make more logical sense to me, Abs, than going along with an archaic, you know, blockchain technology. And let's face it, at this point, Ethereum is archaic compared to what else is coming out there. So Exactly. And Johnny, another thing I wanted to point out within this article is they said, Visa's trying to understand what does blockchain actually solve with mainstream adoption? And obviously we know the answer, so so do they. But what I do want to highlight within the bottom of this article is how excited they are about the implementation of central bank digital currencies. And sorry, my neighbor is mowing their lawn. So if you do hear the lawnmower in the background, I apologize. As the blockchain, as blockchain technology matures, we're really thinking about different use cases, whether it's aimed at the consumer level, institutions, and even central banks exploring CBDCs. Privacy is going to be a big focus here, said Visa. And so for us, I think it will be important to understand the implementations or implications, but also the design behind privacy and the future. And can you believe, Linda, they're trying to promote central bank digital currencies and privacy in the same conversation? So to close us out, what are your thoughts there? Well, we talked about this on a space the other day. There, there are some concerns about that. And, um, you know, I hope that we're going down the right path with central bank digital currencies and that we have the right um, constitutional protections for citizens for this. Um, but I'm, I'm confident that we, we will. Um, but this is something that we have to keep an eye on and hopefully go on the straight and narrow with this. Johnny Crypto, we do have an interesting video right now, so I can choose to choose one of these two articles. We can talk about May 24th and the potential for global regulation to be coming out, or we can talk about the ledger debacle. So it's your choice, my friend. Which one? Oh, there's so many people worried about the ledger debacle. I think we should bring that one up. But before we okay. do that, can you please tell your neighbor not to cut the grass between 11 a.m. and 12 noon on a weekday? I know. Well, one of these days, I'll have a big enough home where it doesn't matter what There my you go. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. If Linda's correct, I should be good one day. But guys, this is the latest news out of Ledger, as Ledger is going to be pausing their recovery service and actually apologize to the community for the way they handled their public relations. And Johnny, to say this has been confusing is an understatement, but here's the latest statements out of Ledger. Hardware wallet company Ledger is postponing the launch of their Ledger recovery following an intense week of criticism from the crypto community. Ledger's chairman and CEO said it had been a humbling experience and a hard lesson in communication. His statements were, this experience has been very humbling. We miscommunicated on the launch of this project and it was not our intention to take people by surprise. So because of that, we understand the community's direction and apologize for our miscommunication. And for anybody who watches our show on a daily basis, Linda, we've hammered this home over the past couple of days. So I'm going to start with you and then kick it to Johnny. How do you feel about the ledger updates and the fact that now they're pausing this update? Oh my goodness. What a study in what not to do. This company was so trusted, was so impeccable in what everyone, you know, how everyone used it, had such huge market share and just you know, when one fell swoop, just ruined their brand. And it's just, it's upsetting because, you know, we want to have safety. We don't want our crypto stolen. That's the worst thing about this whole space is that that happens to people. And, you know, what I've done is basically said, I've checked with my tech team. They basically um, said, you know, we can, we can continue to use it, but, just don't do the update. Don't subscribe to the new service that they're providing. I guess they're forcing people to update. So if we do update, um, think about maybe diversifying across different um, 
different devices. I also have a Decent wallet. I also use the Zum wallet. Um, I'm diversified across all three of those just in case something happens to any one of those. But I will be looking for a replacement for my ledger and seeing what else is secure. Uh, some people have mentioned there's some way to use your phone so that you can do something that makes it secure. There's other you know, uh, com competitors that are very interested in getting our attention. We're gonna be doing a deep dive and doing some investigation and seeing what we're gonna do, but I won't be buying any more ledgers. Mario, I'd love to get some comments from you as well. Ledger, Linda had the same statements that we did earlier in the week. The solution here is to decentralize your portfolio using multiple wallets and then connecting them through the application that we're going to be launching called Merlin. So with that being said, Mario, what stuck out to you? Yeah, I agree with Linda 100%. This is a, a perfect example of what not to do. I mean, Ledger, there you have the biggest brand when it comes to uh, hardware wallets, and they completely crushed that. I mean, I don't think that the announcement of this service was where they ultimately went wrong. It was the comments and the way they approached the community when the community was expressing their concerns. You know, even with the CEO uh, being on that podcast, I don't recall the name, but some of the comments that he made and how he addressed the uh, the concerns of, of the community, that's where I think it really wrecked, um, you know, the trust that people had in Ledger. But, you know, as, as far as how people are perceiving, you know, what Ledger is doing and whether to trust it, it really like like Linda just just uh, mentioned, you know, just don't do the update. But you have I think people have to realize that when it comes to all these wallets, it all comes down to mitigating risk. Uh, and that risk is yourself. So it, it doesn't matter if you have a hardware wallet. It doesn't matter if you have just a regular software wallet. You have to make sure you're doing good practices. You're keeping that C phrase safe. You're not spreading that wallet across multiple devices, which are unprotected, meaning that you maybe don't have a, a secure passcode to get into your device or that you end up using that device for a bunch of different things and then you get compromised. So it really doesn't matter if you have the best hardware wallet out there, if your device itself is not secure. So yeah, but as far as Ledger, um, I, I do still have most of my stuff in my Ledger, but I will probably be doing the same thing, just consolidating out of it uh, just while this all this stuff is going on. And especially if they're going to be forcing people to upgrade or to update the devices. That's something that I don't necessarily agree with. And check out this latest article, guys, because we're talking about how XRP, Bitcoin, and other digital assets are appreciating against the real estate market. This is a short clip going back to the group here. Here we go. Real estate prices are collapsing compared to Bitcoin. 2010, it took 897,000 Bitcoin to buy a $350,000 home. In 2015, it took 817 Bitcoin to buy that same $350,000 house. Today, it takes 13 Bitcoin to buy the same house. As this process continues, we're going to be looking at one Bitcoin to buy a home, then a half a Bitcoin to buy a home in the next cycle. What you're saying, Drew, is that you're looking at a 250K Bitcoin in 2025, 2026. I'm feeling that way. We don't like to discuss price targets here. But one of the things that I do think is relevant in that clip is how Bitcoin is appreciating against the real estate market. And you just highlighted your speculations about how real estate could go up over the next 24 months. So do you agree with him? Bitcoin and the real estate market, they have some sort of an inverse correlation. Well, I try not to comment on Bitcoin, but what I will say is that, um, you know, the US dollar has done the same thing. That's why a 30-year-old house is worth a lot more than it used to be is because the dollar is losing value. And the reason it's losing value is because it can be created to infinity. There is no limit on how much money can be created, as we've all seen. And since 1971, when we went off the gold standard, there, there were no controls now. And so fiat money is um, 
losing value. And that's why our parents could buy a home for such little money. And we have to pay, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars here in California for a home. And you can say the same thing about the U.S. dollar. It's even worse. Yeah. And it seems like we're not going to get a reverse stance anytime soon, Johnny. I'd just like to get some closing remarks here. How do you feel about the real estate versus Bitcoin correlation? Well, I mean, again, what what's happening here is you're seeing that Bitcoin is being used potentially as a hedge against uh, inflation, but there's no better hedge against inflation than gold and gold and silver, right? The the old adage, real true currency in precious metals is really the place to be if you're looking for a hedge. But the question is, can Bitcoin be a you know the future you know store of value replacement for gold as a digital? I think that's still yet to be determined whether that can or can't be. Um, you know, his statement isn't necessarily true now with Bitcoin sitting here at, you know, 20,000 or so or 25 where we are. But the point being is, I think, yes, when you have something that's limited in value or limited quantities like gold is or like Bitcoin is compared to something that's infinite where you can print forever, you're certainly better off investing in something that has a finite value uh, or, or, or quantity so that it acts as a better hedge. And I think Bitcoin maybe can be his statement, maybe right, maybe by 2030. You might be able to buy a house with one Bitcoin potentially. Um, but I would still, me personally, I'm all about diversification. So I think a little gold, a little silver, a little Bitcoin, a little crypto, a little little real estate. If you diversify, you're going to put yourself in the best position to offset any kind of fiat currency. Because I don't care whether we shift to the yuan next or yuan yuan or the RMB, RMB as the next uh, world reserve currency. It's also going to have a... a an infinite level, right? Because the central banks are going to print forever. So until you have something finite, abs, uh, you're going to have to find some other alternative to fiat because it's just going to continue to devalue itself. And Johnny Crypto, I think a great place to end this show will be with the Hinman documents because many of our listeners didn't think we addressed them for long enough. So Linda, let's get some closing statements here. As a t- attorney John Deaton commented on the 2018 controversial speech by the former director of the SEC's corporate finance, William Hinman, challenging the SEC's argument that the speech was merely Hinman's opinion. So there's two sides of these emails being released, Hinda. There's Linda. There's the side where there's corruption. He's giving Ethereum a free pass. And then there's the side where the SEC was actually trying to provide clarity to the market. And William Hinman went his own direction here. So that's what I'd like to discuss. Deaton stressed that the Hinman's controversial speech has made a lot of input from the top SEC officials to be called his personal opinion. The speech has a total of 63 emails and 52 drafts from top SEC officials. This is a direct statement from John Deaton. There were 63 emails and 52 unique drafts of the Hinman speech. 52. That's a lot of drafts and input for a personal opinion, said attorney John Deaton. And I think he's making a great point, Linda. Do you believe that these emails speak for the SEC and not the individual? Well, I think Hinman had his own agenda, which he showed us after, you know, leaving the SEC, where he went, the kind of money that he was paid, uh, multiple seven figures. I think, you know, we've kind of seen that he was operating, you know, in his own benefit in a lot of ways. But I think, you know, again, this has really pushed down the price and held the price down for two and a half years. And what's exciting is once this is over, I think we're going to see, you know, this the potential price appreciation being unleashed. And that's going to be really good for investors to get through this whole debacle and get this behind us. I can't wait. Johnny, I'd like to get some closing statements here on the him and emails. A lot of people are anticipating these are going to be very important for the general public to learn about the corruption behind the scenes. 
What do you think? Are we actually going to get some truth here? Or is it going to be another example like Gary Gensler, where even though we understand he's corrupt, there's not much that the everyday person can do about it? Well, yeah, that's always going to be the situation there. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a, the fox guard in the hen house here. But the reality is um, what I think is happening, the judge has seen these, right? So the judge has seen the him and emails. SEC knows the him and emails and Ripple has now seen the SEC, uh, the him and emails. So the question you first ask yourself is why haven't we got a decision if there's a smoking gun there? And the only logical conclusion that I could come up with is if you're the judge and you're sitting on a case that's this, um, it's got, uh, is this big, right? It's, it's ruling can be significant to this whole entire industry. I got to imagine that maybe she's thinking, Hey, let me get these things out there. Let people see what I'm seeing, and then it's going to be a lot easier for people to understand what ruling I'm going to make. That's my guess. Um, but again, I'm not a judge. But if I were a judge and I had to make a decision and I'm getting a pressure on both sides, uh, especially from Big Brother, I would certainly want to have something like those Henman emails out there in the public because I think it makes her ruling easier, Abs. So that's my guess as she's waiting for those to come out. And I think once those come out, I think we get a, uh, I think we get a ruling soon thereafter that's my gut and guys we got 426 live listeners joining us show us some love smash that like button linda i want to say thank you for making time for our whole team today this is a super fun episode i'm going to formally ask you to come back on not only on the show but after the show as well but for people who don't know where can they find your content i know you have a podcast it's called the be wealthy and smart podcast you also are a published author so to just close this out where can people find your content Yes. So the Be Wealthy and Smart podcast is wherever podcasts are found, Apple uh, predominantly, but also it goes to my YouTube channel. So you can go to Linda P. Jones on YouTube and my three times a week, I do an audio podcast called Be Wealthy and Smart on general financial topics, stocks, uh, also touch on real estate and uh, precious metals, etc. And then I have started doing like a drill down video for crypto. So I have some articles that I'm following there for people who want to know a little bit more in depth what's going on and pulling out some specific uh, facts that are happening in crypto and specifically with Ripple and XRP. And then uh, I have written two books. This um, book right there, uh, Three Steps to Quantum Wealth is the one I was talking about earlier where I compared the uh, internet uh, technology boom to the crypto boom and what we're going through today and how it's going to be a wealth building tool for people. And you can find that on Amazon and wherever books are sold. Thank you, Linda. And we got a suggestion from Yeah Bro Mike right here. It said Linda and Mark Yusko on the same episode. I would be excited about that one. I'll tell you that much, Johnny. And we got about a minute left here. So I'd love for you to just close this out, Johnny. What's on your mind? I'm going to have to work on that. I'm going to see if I can bring them both back out. It'll be great. I think, uh, you know, abs at the end of the day, you know, Linda has been great having you on, but I think um, from the perspective of where we are with this case and where we're heading abs, I think we really got to keep an eye on what kind of ruling we get. That's what's going to be very, very interesting and where we head out. So uh, again, whether it's appeal versus a settlement versus the judge herself, those are going to be three different rulings. So we'll keep an eye on it and see where it goes. Thank you so much. And we're going to close this episode out the same way we always do by saying thank you to each one of our special guests. Thank you to Linda. Thank you to Johnny. And thank you to Mario, a.k.a. the Node Defender. We got 422 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We'll see you guys in 23 hours. Like we always say, Warriors, get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us. Let's go.